Welcome to This Week in Sparkling Water. I'm your host, Joachim Eriksson. You guys like that intro music? You guys like my new intro music? It's, um... The thing about it is that I haven't heard it yet. I'm going to add it later. I talked to this guy, Asher, like 30 minutes ago, and I was like, give me some wood blocks, you know? Make some monkey noises with your mouth. Make it tribal, you know? All the things we associate with sparkling water. Uh, and he agreed to make me some intro music, and hopefully he made something. <laughs> hopefully he made something, and I will add it in later. But I'm sitting here in complete silence, and I don't know what it's going to sound like. But, um, yeah, because season one, I just did... You know, I took music from a children's television show that I saw when I was a kid. Um, it was like this alphabet train, but it's like Swedish state television, especially the children's music. I mean, children's TV. When I was growing up, was going through such a, like a golden age of, they just attracted these weird, like, there was this one show called Tortan, the cake, which was black and white. And it was these three anarchists that were allowed, for some reason, they were allowed to make this super art house television, kids TV show. And they gave themselves these ugly noses and they ran a bakery in the show and everyone's an anarchist and there's no money in this universe. And it's just like super political. <laughs> and crazy absolutely crazy and you watch it now as an adult and it's terrifying it's like scary it's got a really scary vibe and then there was a more middle of the road thing called Bjornes magazine which yeah it's like um magazine like i don't even know how to translate that word it's like some sort of warehouse down by the harbor or something Bjorn is a guy's name, so it's like the guy's warehouse. So you you wander into this the t television show. It's all in the stylings of like Mister Rogers or that kind of thing. But but the Swedish take on that is like a, a warehouse down by the harbor, full of little trinkets. It's basically a guy who's a hoarder, and he's a big teddy bear, and he's a hoarder. Like not a meta. Like he's not a he's not a human being who's like fat and cute and like a teddy bear. He's like an actual teddy bear i mean he's a he's an actor dressed up in a you know suit um and that that one was that one was not black and white that one i watched a lot um and it had a pretty nice vibe there was also this one that was super abstract uh it was like a, a weird finnish swedish lady um Ika i rutan, which just means Ika in the square. But the square is in Swedish also sort of slang for like on the screen. And she would just like, everything would be blinking in weird colors. And it's like real 80s sort of video quality. And suddenly she's upside down. Suddenly she's right right side up. And, and she's like singing these like arrhythmic, weird, super abstract songs about like human justice and and you know the animals and and just like weird social issues 
And, um, and then we get to the one that I stole the music from for season one of the podcast, which is, I don't even know what it's called. It was an alphabet train. It was a cartoon. And there was something about that show where I watched it when I was a kid, like very young. I was like eight years old. And it had this like weird bubbly noise to it that when I heard it, it just went into my kid brain and I just felt like, what is this feeling? Like, what am I feeling? This song is so good. I love that song. And then I could only vaguely remember the song. And every five years or so, there would be a pop song that had a noise in it that reminded me of that show that I watched when I was like six years old, which is why I never forgot it. Because every five years, something would – like one was Erica Badu and Andre 3000 made a song together called Hello. She just goes like, hello, hello, hey, hello, 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 hey, hello, hello. And it's got this weird bubbly, bubbling noise that's like – and it was similar to the thing. Great song, by the way. Um, so for the first season of the podcast, I took that, I went, I found that cartoon and it only had like eight episodes and I took the intro and a couple of other parts of every single episode and then I used that, they, they had kind of different moods, so I'd be like, I'd listen to the beginning of the episode of the podcast and I'd be like, oh yeah, this mood goes with that one and I'd... I'd, I'd slap on the appropriate intro, but it never created a problem because Swedish state television from the 80s exists in a very closed system where that stuff is not on Spotify and the Spotify algorithm does not know about it. So I can put it in my podcast and I can put my podcast on Spotify and Spotify is not going to be like, ooh, here's copyrighted music. Uh, it doesn't exist. For all intents and copyright purposes, Swedish state television from the 80s does not exist. The only way I could even steal it is that it is all available on SVT Play, which is like just state television streaming service, that can only be accessed using a Swedish IP address. So to get to it, I had to buy a VPN to get a Swedish IP address. Anyway, so that's what I did for season one. And it, it was never an issue. And I it, it was very little effort. I just like, before starting the podcast, I it just struck me that that music made such an impression on me as a kid. Just like that weird bubbling sequence. I should almost freeze myself right now and just insert the thing I'm talking about. So maybe I'll do that. But when I was going to do the podcast, I was like, I'll just take that. So I took that and I stole all of it before I even recorded the first episode. And then I never thought about the music again. And so then when I'm doing season two with the, with the um, video, I'm like, I'll get some new music. Um, so I, so I was like, I'll take something fresh. So I, I had just seen that television show, the white Lotus. So I just took some music from that. And then I realized that that's a problem and it's actually not a problem at all in the way I thought because I was expecting it to be a thing like back in the olden days, I think the way the world worked was that 
you steal something copyrighted and you can put it out there, but then later you might get in trouble and they try to sue you. Like that's not how it works at all anymore. Because what happened is I put the White Lotus music on my podcast. I uploaded my podcast to to um, YouTube. And then YouTube just said, okay, you're trying to upload the White Lotus music, which is fine. We're just going to put ads on your podcast and send the money to the White Lotus people. So sophisticated, which explains the thing I've wondered for years. Like, why is every song in the universe available on YouTube? Like, how is that possible? Why does YouTube not police how some random YouTube account is uploading uh, a Taylor Swift song? Like, how can... How can that be there and Taylor Swift doesn't get mad and they don't take it down? The reason is, even though it looks like it was uploaded by some random person because it was, there's actually a money angle and the money is still going to Taylor Swift. So it's like they had this great idea and figured it out in this perfect way. So that's all good and everything. And I don't mind that like in the first episode of the podcast, you can scroll down and it says like White Lotus on there and the money is going to White Lotus. It's all good. It's just that I can't, Spotify doesn't have the same thing and Apple Podcasts doesn't have the same thing. So I had to get my own music. So for the non-video, for the audio only version, I'm actually doing, I was actually doing music that I made Javi record for me, um, which was so nice. And it was based on this thing where David Lynch, the director who made Twin Peaks, which is one of my favorite faves. Like Twin Peaks is, I've watched Twin Peaks many times and the way Twin Peaks, it's just, it has all these, this rich library of characters. And at certain moments, it's not even clear, like who is the main character here? Cause there's just so many characters. It's a very character heavy show. And um, honestly, my favorite thing of the whole show is the depiction of evil because they have this, there's this, there's just something evil in the forest and you never, you, you don't really see it. And it's just talked about in a completely different way than how other American television shows talk about like the devil or something evil or a monster or whatever. It's just talked about in a totally different way. And then when you see it, it's, totally different and the evil in the forest is in the end portrayed just by a guy that apparently the the way the story goes is that david lynch they were just working on the set on season one of twin peaks and there was a carpenter on the set who was like a native american guy with long hair and david lynch was just like you look kind of spooky so he just took that guy and made him the demon in the show and call and he calls him Bob. And that is such a break of style from how they always try to give the evil demon some sort of very dramatic name. So to take this show, which is actually scary and to name the demon Bob, it's just so creative. It's so fucking creative and good. So David Lynch for me is this, paragon of creativity. And then I heard that David Lynch had written a book about, I heard that he's a big meditation guy. 
and he'd written a book about basically the intersection of meditation and creativity, of how he is describing his meditation practice and also um, how his meditation practice feeds into his creativity. And I'm like, sign me up, dude. That's like, sign me. That's my favorite two things. So, um, so I go online and I buy this book. And then the thing that shows up is like, oh, okay, you wrote a book. Sometimes I buy a book on the internet without really looking into it. And then when I get, it's like, I don't know if we should be calling this a book. It's small like this. And it's called Catching Big Fish, Meditation, Consciousness, and Creativity. Ah, oh. bonus interviews with Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr. Paul McCartney gets around. Paul McCartney, he he does a lot of things these days. I um, I got a new job, and and um, it's like at a fancy like the the company that I started is going pretty good, but I also I need a day job, so I got a a restaurant job. And then when I started there, the general manager was like, "Okay, so," and I asked her what the dress code was, and she's like, "The dress code is chambray," and it's like we'd had this long interview and it'd gone really well, and she basically was just like, "You're the type of person I'm trying to hire here, so like let's make this work," and. We really connected and she used a lot of, we, we just immediately tested each other out by throwing out all this weird restaurant lingo at each other and it was perfect and we understood. We just had this like, I like her a lot. Um, but then I, I'm like, what's the dress code? And she's like, the dress code is chambray. And I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? Like, what the, what's chambray? But I didn't say that. I was like, okay. And then instead I went home and Googled it and it took me like seven tries before I could, um, figure out like how do you spell chambray and i can't even remember right now but you spell it some kind of way and then the 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 truth is that the dress code is uh paul mccartney featuring rihanna which is why i thought of it right now because uh it's you're supposed to to work there you're supposed to dress like they did in that one video where kanye was like let's do denim on denim which is a little bit weird to do fancy food and make everyone wear denim but it's like we're in gold country, you know, like it's an it's an old hotel that like four American presidents stayed at during the gold rush. And they're trying to um, evoke some sort of um, Old West imagery, Paul McCartney imagery or something. Um, or maybe denim is like, I don't know, maybe denim is just uh, in the Venn diagram of Rihanna and Paul McCartney and Kanye West, maybe denim is just like the one overlap in all three. Um, but anyway, getting back to this book. The reason I did that thing where I, or no, like how I got to the music with, with, with I almost said with Kanye, with Javi, is that I um, I read this book. Like, So first of all, why I'm saying it's not really a book, it's like, Look at the amount of text here. Like it's it's just white pages with like a paragraph on each page. This is like probably 8,000 words, you know, like 8,000 words is not a book. It's more like a pamphlet. So it's a little bit of a cash grab, but you know, it's all good. Like there's a lot of David Lynch fanboys out there and and I'm one of them. And I probably paid about $17 for this. I wish there was a price on the back of it. 
wonder how much I paid for this. Uh, but yeah, I bought this for a flight and I picked it up right before going on the plane. And I was like, this is not going to last me a whole flight. And it was a long flight and it didn't. But so there's this one segment where he, or one chapter, the chapters are one paragraph each. This chapter, I'm going to read it to you. Angelo Badalamenti. And for anyone who is a Twin Peaks fanboy, Angelo Badalamenti is, you know what's up. Like that's the name when the show starts. It's like Twin Peaks in this crazy style-breaking neon green against weird mauve brown font on this like dirty filter Pacific Northwest brown landscape. First it says Twin Peaks and then the first name that comes up, Angelo Badalamenti. So you know this guy is the guy, you know? So that's the name of the chapter. I met Angelo Badalamenti on Blue Velvet, and since then he has composed music for all my films. He's like my brother. The way we work is, I like to sit next to him on the piano bench. I talk and Angelo plays. He plays my words, but sometimes he doesn't understand my words, so he plays very badly. And then I say, no, 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 Angelo, and I change my words a little bit, and he plays differently. And then I say, no, 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 Angelo, and I change my words, and somehow through this process he will catch something, and I'll say, that's it. And then he starts going with his magic down the correct path it's so much fun if angelo lived next door to me i'd like to do this every day but he lives in new jersey and i live in los angeles okay so i've also heard him mention this in an interview where he basically said if the if he could magically just do one thing for the rest of his life what he would do is he would sit there on the piano bench with angelo badalamenti and he'd tell him how to play and then he'd play, you know? And when you think about that, it's clear how the creativity of Twin Peaks is a, it's a sort of feed, it's a two-way street between the music and the everything, the story. Because it's clear that like he came, comes up with this lodge, the whole TV show is set in this weird wooden cottage lodge weird hotel and you have this weird suggestive jazz music and then the weird suggestive jazz music gives david lynch ideas about what are the strange things happening in this hotel and how is that connected to the black lodge and the white lodge and these um fantastical places in the universe of Twin Peaks, places that you can only access through these magic rituals. And all of these things are portrayed in such a different way from all other type of like folklore and magic and all this other popular culture, how magic is portrayed. It's just so creative and it's so atmospheric and it's so good. And so you have David Lynch sitting there on the on the piano bench with Angelo Badalamenti, and I've always loved that idea. So when I realized that I can't just steal music from the White Lotus and upload it on Apple Podcasts, because Apple Podcasts, the computer's just going to know that I'm doing that and it's going to get taken down, I was like, Javi plays piano every morning. It's how we wake up. I wake up, I grind beans, coffee beans, and the abrasive sound of the coffee grinder wakes him up and he wanders out 
to the piano and he just plays piano and I make coffee and I listen to these like piano tunes sort of wafting from the living room into the kitchen. And then I ask him if he wants coffee and he wants just a tiny bit of coffee and he puts sugar in his coffee. And every time I'm like, Javi, don't put sugar in your coffee. It's coffee, man. Be, But it's okay. Um, and he plays piano. So I was like, let's do that. So this one afternoon, I just did the David Lynch thing and I just sat down with Hob and, um, I just told him what to play and I just gave him adjectives and he just like played. And it was so difficult because we're two different minds, you know? And it's like, you start out with absolutely zero understanding because what I want is so abstract. And I'm just like, make it more pretentious. Make it sadder. Make it lonelier. No, lonelier. And I just kept asking for it to be lonelier. And then he played this thing that he kind of, he plays often. It's like a piece of music that he has been working on for years where he just like adds more stuff to the end. So it's just like a long, long, long piece of music. Um, and he kind of played that, but he played it like slower and he just like made a lonely version of it. And so I just ended up with like 30 minutes of recorded music. And then I took out this piece that was just different from everything else. And that's the intro for like episode, you know, 53 and 54 or whatever. And then I um, do feel like it was, it's kind of, it's a little bit, it's a little bit too pretentious or like I, honestly, I didn't tell him to make it pretentious. I just said, make it, I throw out a bunch of adjectives and then he made some stuff. And then I, in in the end, I was like, wow, this is so pretentious sounding. And um, I realized that that, that's the podcast itself it's too pretentious <laughs> that i need a break of style there where i need i need a contrast where the like the in the season 1 the children's music was a nice contrast cuz it was it was like super light and it was just like weird cartoon noises and then i come in and like talk about how i'm depressed for like 45 minutes and it was just like I that made sense to me. That made sense to me. And then instead having pretentious lonely piano music and then I talk about how I'm depressed. It's a little bit too much. It's like in Swedish we have an expression torta på torta, which is a, a very nice expression. It's like birthday cake on top of a birthday cake. It's just too much, you know? Like after you have cake, you don't want to go have cake, you know? So um so so I found this other guy Asher and he he's a, he's a bud he's a great guy he's a he's a snarky New Zealand man and and he is um he got his wood blocks out and he said he was going to make me some music so we'll see but then I'm really hoping to um to get Squatchy Mane on the pod and Squatchy Mane's got supposedly he's got a a band and Maybe I'll get Squatchamane to make me some music too. And because it'd be fun to have new music every couple of episodes. Um, maybe we should do a water. Yeah. So this episode, I've had these waters for so long. 
and I haven't reviewed them because it doesn't fit super well. Because I keep saying how the definition of water that we use for the podcast is it needs to be watery. The water flavor needs to come through. It can't. And, and what I always say is like, so it's not Coca-Cola. Like Coca-Cola is outside of, we don't review Coca-Cola here. Coca-Cola is not sparkling water. Even Diet Coke, which is sparkling and mostly water and sugar free, zero calories. It's not, it doesn't fit into what we call sparkling water because it's not watery. But this episode, we're doing cola because some of the sparkling water companies make a cola flavor. And I just want to review these. And so, yeah. So we're going to start with this one. Focus. We've reviewed a couple of these. Caffeinated sparkling water. Caffeinated sparkling water. What time is it right now? Yeah, it's late. So I'm only going to have a little bit. But it's um, clear-cut focus cola is the flavor. Caffeinated sparkling water. Yeah, see? It says cola and it says sparkling water. Like, what am I supposed to do? Like, I have to review this. With L-theanine for mind and body. Okay, great. Wow. Okay, so that is super watery. And then the flavor that hits you is copper. And then behind that, it's aluminum. And then behind that, there is the faintest off-brand cola flavor. Um, I.e., this is very bad. Like, we've had a lot of waters, actually, that... Because I review these, like, indie sparkling waters, they seem to not all have figured out how to not make it taste like the can. So I've reviewed a bunch of sparkling waters that are super metallic. And this is the the most metallic. <laughs> this is the most metallic, terrible sparkling water flavor I've ever encountered. This is absolutely awful. Yeah, that's one out of ten. Let's call that one out of ten. So, speaking of caffeine, there is this thing where I'm going to, I'm going to polish my, I'm going to do a lens wipe on my glasses. Um, I read this thing in the Atlantic, basically, about how we are in denial about how coffee is actually, you know, like maybe we drink too much coffee and maybe caffeine is actually kind of a stronger drug than we like to admit and so such a bad first burp um yeah and it's like the the thing is talking about how if you try to get off coffee and if you notice the incredibly strong reaction your body will have to that after years and years of coffee drinking you begin to realize how it's actually not as benign as you think Blah, 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 whatever. I drink four cups of coffee every day and I'm always super anxious. And I feel like maybe I'm in denial about how maybe coffee is actually making me a little bit anxious. And then I thought about it for a couple of weeks after reading that thing. And I was like, oh yeah, dude, when I drink a strong cup of my own brewed, like real darkness for the hour and a half after that, I'm like stressed out. So... Like, maybe just cut back on it and see what happens. So I committed to drinking um, 
less than a cup of coffee every morning. And that's been fine. That has not created any withdrawals. And then I've been doing that for maybe four or five days now. And then last week I was in San Francisco. I don't know if I... I can't remember the timeline of some of these episodes and stuff, but but I can't remember if I mentioned it. But I went to went to San Francisco last week, and I um, yeah. What happened last episode? I recorded. First of all, also in this episode, I'm noticing myself pretending to be like extra happy because I feel like I was so so depressed seeming last episode that I want to make sure everyone knows that I'm fine, you know, so that we don't end up on the old suicide watch list. Um, yeah. So I recorded an episode and I was real depressed. And then the next day after that, actually, I drove down to San Francisco and I saw my old buddy, Schwen and my buddy, David. I have a lot of friends named David, but this is David who used to live in Seattle. Such a good guy. I didn't hang out with him a whole lot in Seattle. Big part of it was like I was going through this divorce and I was so depressed and his life was like so in order and all of his friends had like these lives that were like so in order and my life was like not in order and I just felt like I couldn't help but compare. Yeah, let's just be honest and say that out loud on the podcast that I couldn't I actually couldn't hang out with him so much because I, yeah, I don't know. I guess I felt like a loser and at least I felt like I was depressed and they seemed so happy. And then, and then that makes me not hang out with him. And then that creates this very self-reinforcing, self-perpetuating thing obviously where you filter out all the happy people in your life and you end up only spending time with depressed people because you're depressed and then you get to be more depressed which reminds me of this other thing i've been thinking about a lot was like when i was a teenager i listened to so much like emo music and really upset rap music and all this music was like really deeply negative like a very negative emotional landscape. And I really, really wonder what happened there. Because I I started out being unhappy and then I listened to all that music. And did that music then make me more unhappy or did that music make me a little bit less unhappy because there was some sort of feeling of joy or comfort in listening to music that that meshes with the feeling in your heart? Because I've always had this feeling like, I've always had this sense that what music you listen to is some sort of a reflection of the, the, just a vibration of your consciousness. Like if you listen to reggae, there is some sort of like, like the vibration of your heart is a little bit like, and if you listen to like death metal, the vibration of your heart is a little bit like, and if you listen to rap music, maybe it's like, da, 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 you know, like, I mean all of that in a completely abstract way, but you know what I mean. Like, maybe there is a fundamental different color 
on the ocean floor of the subconscious. I don't know. That's stupid. You know what I mean, though. Uh, what was I saying? Yeah. I don't know if... I remember talking to Eric Krasny about this, or my I had this buddy, Eric Krasny, and he, this one time, we were connecting over how we had listened to exactly the same band. He was like, I used to listen to Bright Eyes. I used to listen to Lil Wayne back in 2004. I used to listen to this. And I was like, yep, those are all my things. And then we were both like, or he he posted the question for the first time, and he was like, do you think listening to all that negative music made us more unhappy? And I still do not know the answer. But um, anyway, what was I talking about? Yeah, so I was talking about how, like, I didn't hang out with Dave, especially so much after I, like, got that divorce, and I was, like, not doing so good, and I wasn't hanging out with Dave so much, yada, yada. But then I drove down to San Francisco, and I um, had such a good time in San Francisco. It was such a good time to see my buddy Schwen. Like, wow, she's a she's a crazy gal. You know, just this Taiwanese lady that you meet in Shanghai, and then she she's all always dating French guys, and then she's on track to marry this American guy, but then in the end she she marries a Mexican guy and settles in southern Mexico and runs a hostel, and now she figuring out how to build like a new modular sustainable home and she's going to start like an all-women construction company to build these sustainable all-green material the water tank is in the bottom the solar is on top you know this like perfect home that she can replicate with this all-woman crew over and over i just i'm in awe of that woman and i love that woman i love that woman so that's all good. So I spent a couple of days in San Francisco and I immediately just felt better after recording that really depressed last episode. And then I came back and I kind of like just um, pulled myself up using my own bootstraps and I got the company to work way better and then I got a job and then I just did a bunch of other things. And then it's – and and you know, like we're not very complicated creatures. Like when I'm depressed, it's because I've been um, – at the house too much and then you know i have to be um i have to extend an amount of grace to myself and admit that it's like i was trying to be responsible i did not leave the house very much everyone around me had covid no one is vaccinated i've felt like maybe i, sh I should just stay at the house maybe that's the responsible thing like maybe not be a vector and then there's these forest fires and there's just smoke everywhere and i was um couldn't even like really be outside. So yeah, maybe I, it was all right for me to feel bad there for a while and be like super depressed. Um, but yeah, so I'm trying to, I was going to say something. I don't remember. So I'm noticing myself being happier this episode. Anyway, maybe we should do another water. Let's see if it's even recording. Wow, always blows my mind that it's still recording. So I had two waters that I've wanted to review for a long time, and then I needed a third one. And I really was trying to buy the LaCroix cola flavor, but I haven't been able to find it. So I just picked up this weird other thing just because let's just have a baseline, even though this is like not sparkling water. 
This is Signature Select Diet Cola Caffeine-Free. And I bought it because I've never seen caffeine-free cola before. If anything, they're going the other direction. Like Coca-Cola has all these coffee beverages now that are like half coffee, half Coca-Cola. What the hell is going on there? Oh, yeah, I remember what I was talking about. I was talking about caffeine. Okay, so, oh, my God, I lost my trail of thought so big there. So 20 minutes ago, I I started this story. I cut down to drinking less than a cup of coffee. And then I went to San Francisco and visited Shren and David. And while in San Francisco, I went to Trader Joe's because Trader Joe's is fucking awesome. And we don't have it here. The closest Trader Joe's is an hour away, which is one of the most upsetting things about this area. And I'm like considering starting a Trader Joe's or some shit. But apparently there's some, there's some like citizen action group against chain stores and restaurants where they want local stuff to have breathing room. So they block out the chains. So then instead you just end up with Safeway. So it's like, okay, well, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know what to say about that. Like, because you kind of need all of it. You need the nice local store with the turnips. You need Safeway for like ever for the comprehensive thing. And then you need Trader Joe's in between there for the, the cheap, nice stuff. Because Trader Joe's got so much nice stuff. Like, oh man, as a sugar lizard, their candy, um, their candy is good. So one thing I bought when I was there last week is um, I bought these dark chocolate covered espresso beans and they are wonderful. They're absolutely wonderful. And so I've been snacking on these a little bit each night and then I've been not sleeping good and I've been laying there at night upset that I'm so anxious about starting a new job. And I'm like, bro, it's just a restaurant job. And also I've worked in like eight restaurants and I'm like better than anyone in there, dude. Oh, that's such a, I would like to scratch that from the record. That's not a very humble thing to say. Um, They seem like very nice people and I haven't even spent a lot of time with them, but they asked me to, I did a test shift and I was following this guy around. I was asked to shadow this guy is what it's called. And um, he talks through service with me and explains how things are done. And the whole time I wanted to be like, bro, bro, like you're doing it wrong. But it's like, it was a, it's sort of an interview. Like I'm not hired yet. So I didn't want to put out any negative vibes or like, that's not negativity. That's very constructive. I did. It's not time. You shouldn't start raising the bar before you've been hired. Like you shouldn't start training your coworkers until they've hired you. So, so he did a lot of things that were like, not how you do service, but, but I think I'm going to be good friends with that guy. So, you know, if you're watching this, <laughs> he's definitely not watching this. Luckily, if you're watching this, you're a great server, brother. And, um, man, this story is so hard to keep on track. The point is, I was laying there sleepless thinking that I couldn't sleep because I was anxious about starting a new job in a couple of days. 
disappointed in myself that I don't have enough confidence to just go with it because it's easy and I know how to do it and, and I have nothing to worry about. I'm just going to really apply myself like I always do and it's going to be great. But then I realized, I googled it just now and I realized these coffee beans, these espresso beans from Trader Joe's, they're like not just regular caffeinated level, they're extra caffeinated, like they've added caffeine to them. So they have twice as much, like if you just were to take regular espresso beans and just you were to eat those, that's an amount of caffeine, but the the Trader Joe's beans have twice as much caffeine. So I've been eating like two and a half cups of coffee at 11 p.m. every day without noticing. and And then I've been laying there sleepless wondering like, why can't I sleep? So there's that. So that's why tonight I was like, because it's like 1 a.m. right now. It's 1 a.m. But I was like, I'm not going to go to sleep. I ate like half of this tub of dark chocolate covered espresso beans. And they're so good. Like I cannot stop eating them. They're so good because they have this super satisfying, like very, very aggressive crunch, almost like a macadamia nut or... um. A para, you know, like some of the nuts have this like really aggressive crunch that's almost uncomfortable. It's almost too much. And um, do you guys like my hat? This is like, this hat is like when you're doing a character. Like this is not, I don't feel normal wearing this hat, but whatever. It's 1 a.m. So I ate like half a tub of these espresso beans and it's 1130 and I Google it and I realized that that I just had two cups of coffee. So I'm like, I'm not going to bed, so I better record a podcast then, I guess. So, um, yeah, it's like, uh, you can't win, you know? And I've been like lowering my tolerance. I thought I'd been lowering my caffeine tolerance, but really I just shifted my caffeine intake to 11 p.m. So yeah, signature select, diet cola, caffeine-free. So there's no caffeine and no calories. So we good. Not water, though. Not sparkling water. I mean, I was going to have this be a baseline, and I was going to shit on this and say that this is terrible because it's like off-brand cola. Off-brand. Like, I'm a Coca-Cola drinker. I very rarely drink it, but I still identify as a Coca-Cola drinker in the sense that I still feel like Coca-Cola is like one of the greatest inventions. Just watching how you can introduce Coca-Cola to Africa, you can introduce it anywhere and it just takes over. You bring it to South America, it takes over. And like just watching how, what Coca-Cola turned into in China, like they figured out their own way of drinking it. You go to an, a fancy dinner in China and they will have these fancy alcohol bottles in the middle of a round uh, banquet table. Excuse me. And then there will be a liter and a half plastic pet PET plastic bottle of Coca-Cola, regular old Coca-Cola, not chilled. And that's like their chaser. Like they drink... 
fancy expensive baijo, which is like 60% alcohol, and then they chase it with room temperature Coca-Cola. Like they figured out their own thing of how to do it, but it's still like 90% of that market. It's still just because they already had a bunch of sodas. Like they had Wang Laoji and all these other very sweet sort of tea area soda. It's like tea that's so sweetened that, I don't know, I mean... It's a very different, it's a way more herbal palette than, like in America, you have Arizona iced tea, which is um, probably the same sugar content, but it's still a very different flavor palette than Chinese teas, which is also different than the Japanese ones that are more way more like the green, the astringent green chilled teas that you have a hundred versions of in Japan is, is one thing. And the Chinese stuff is like a more Chinese medicine tasting. Like Wang Laoji is like a weird Chinese medicine tasting thing. But then even with all of those things that they already have, you introduce Coca-Cola and Coca-Cola just takes over. Like it's incredible. And I say all of that to say that there is just a balance in Coca-Cola that off-brand colas never get to. So the fact that this is so good, Signature Select Cola, huh, it's weird. Ah, it's good that it's good because they made me buy 20 of them. Um, so I'm not going to rate it because it's not a sparkling water, but if I were to rate it, I would have given it a 7. Or maybe even an eight. Um, what's the time? Oh, yeah, okay. All right, we got 20 more minutes. I was going to make this kind of a shorter episode, but nah. So here's one thing that I was thinking about that I should, that I could talk about. It's like one thing that. I've noticed since meditating a lot is that I just notice what I'm thinking about. And I notice that frequently I just have a memory from a really long time ago, like a really unimportant memory that will just pass through my mind. And then the same memory will pass through my mind three times a week forever. Like my entire life, Okay, so here's an example. When I was probably eight years old, my mom took me to a movie theater to watch a movie. I do not remember which movie we were going to watch. In Sweden, movie theaters, the seating situation is numbered. So you look at your ticket, you got a row, you got a seat number, you're going to a certain place. In America, it's just like, just go in there and find a seat, you know? Here, the story takes place in Sweden. I'm looking at my ticket. I find my row. We're about to walk into the row, but there's a lady sitting all the way out in the aisle, like adjacent to the aisle. And I'm a little kid, and so we arrive there in the it, where we are about to walk into the row. And when you sort of hover there, people notice that you're about to that you want to get in there, so you don't even have to say anything. People usually just get up, right? This is how humans work. And 
So what happened is that this lady starts shifting her legs to the side so that we can get through, but she's also getting up. And I misread the situation and she shifts her legs to the side and I'm a little kid. So I'm like, I can get through there. So I just squeezed through and she was actually getting up completely because she wanted to get up completely to give us a lot of space and to not feel so crowded. And I didn't give her enough time to get up. And I just squeezed through because I'm a little kid and I don't give a fuck. And I can hear my mom say something behind me about how I was being rude. And I don't remember the wording, but I remember the feeling. And that's the whole memory. And that memory has passed through my mind probably four times a week, every week, my entire life. And it happened, you know, maybe 23 years ago. So yeah, like, what is that? Like, what is that about? Why is it like that? Why is memory like that? And and it's like, it's not an important I am of two minds, though, because it's like, was that the birth of shame for me? Was that the first time I felt shame? Was that the first time I realized, like, that I am also a person that can be viewed from the outside and that can be judged? And, like, my mom says something where she's like, oh, you mean you really could have let her wait or you really could have let her get up or whatever she said. She didn't even say it. She didn't yell at me. She was like, uh, my mom just said some comment to like smooth it over to like show to the lady that my mom is not oblivious to how her son is a little bit like just going for it here and maybe like didn't do, didn't handle that situation perfectly. Now, in his defense, he's eight years old, you know? So that's a memory. Yeah, I mean, maybe that was the birth of shame for me, and maybe that's how it works. I don't know. Now that I say it like that, it's it almost reminds me of that incredible movie. Is it called Inside Out? Where it's like a Disney movie. It's an... 3D animated kind of deal where some of the characters are inside the head of this young girl and every time she experiences something it it turns into a memory and the memory are, is represented with these like bowling ball sized big yellow spheres that roll down on this track and then good memories are one color and it's just like this incredibly simple but pedagogic depiction of the inside of the mind i love that movie and and it in the movie there are these i can't remember what they're called but they're like the keystone memories they're the important foundational memories that become foundations for your oh my god this ties into the next thing i i can i was thinking about like it in that movie you have these experiences these keystone memories that bloom into entire aspects of your personality. So like, I think in the movie, the example is something about hockey where she's like a girl. It's like kind of a, like a little bit of a 
contrived progressive thing where they like, ooh, let's make it a girl and let's make her play hockey. And it's like, yeah, we get it, guys. It's a, like, we get it. It's a liberal movie. It's all good. Like, anyone can do anything. You don't have to, like, you don't have to, like, overdo it. But so this girl plays hockey and she has some early memory where someone says something encouraging about her playing hockey and she just, like, hangs on to that and... It blooms into this whole thing where she like starts enjoying hockey more and more and more and it becomes a huge part of, part of her personality. And it's all contingent on this one basic early memory. And then later in the movie, that memory is removed and a whole part of her, she has like a negative experience. Someone like makes fun of her for hockey or something. And that memory is just unplugged and that whole part of her personality shuts down, which it's exactly what happened to me in this next thing where like, bro, this is so embarrassing to talk about. Oh, and it's so abstract and so difficult to talk about. But let me just try to explain first what happened in completely practical terms. I am in like third grade, okay? In third grade in Sweden, you have like geography class, which is this super basic thing where the teacher just like pulls down a world map, has a stick, points to a country, and just like talks about that country for like 30 minutes. And then throughout a whole semester, you just like talk about all the countries a little bit. So as a kid, you just have this all that like very superficial, but 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 still very there's a great variety of information that washes over you during these geography classes. I don't know what geography looks like in other places, but that's what our geography class was like. And then you can kind of, there's a little bit of a give and take. You can kind of raise your hand and ask questions. You can say things, you know, it's a very, it's an, it's a fairly open space. And then I think I didn't read the room very good when I was in third grade. Okay. I didn't get it very good. And, oh, it's so shameful. And what happened is that we got to Southeast Asia and my grandparents had just visited, I think it was like Phuket. Phuket might be in Thailand. I don't even, like, I, <laughs> it's funny how I don't, I didn't look into any of this. So I don't know, but there's like a Phuket, there's Bali, there's Thailand. These are three places. Who knows which one of those is a country and which one of those is like, I mean, Phuket is a city, I guess, and Thailand is a country and Bali is a country maybe. Uh, the reason I don't know is like part of the story here. <laughs> My grandparents visited this place, okay? Okay. And they brought back a couple of stories that they told me. And they gave me a hat. And it was a weird hat. It was a cap with a brim. And the back of it, it's like a safari hat. The back of it has these two flaps that cover your neck so that you don't get a sun, so that your neck, the back of your neck does not get sunburned. Okay. That's the hat. It has a deep blackout black color outside and it has a very very colorful neon pattern lining 
That's the hat. And it probably says Paquette or Bali or something on the front of it. That's the hat that they buy in a fucking tourist store in Southeast Asia in 1995 or three or whenever this story takes place. Okay. That's what they buy. They bring back a couple of stories by stuff that about stuff that happened and this hat. Okay. And then. When we are talking our way through Southeast Asia in third grade in the classroom, I do not read the room well and I raise my hand and tell a story that they told, even though we're not even talking about Thailand yet. We're talking about like the Philippines or whatever. We're talking about some country next to it. And I, I'm piecing this together because the thing I did was I raised my hand Every day, several days in a row, I think, to say, hey, did you know my grandparents just went there? My grandparents just went to Thailand and this story thing happened and I told the story and everyone was just like, okay, yeah, we're going to let this sort of oblivious kid tell a story again. And then on the third or fourth day, I raised my hand, and what I say on that day was that they brought me back the hat, okay? And then what happened is that this guy, his name is Christian. That was his name. I do not remember his last name. I would love to dox him. <laughs> he, <laughs> he raised his hat. No, no, I raised my hand. I say the thing like, did you know my grandparents were there? And like, they brought me back this hat. And then he... I'm sitting in like the third row and he's sitting in the first row and he turns around and he looks at me and in a totally deadpan, little bit annoyed, very matter of fact way, he just says, look, bro, we do not give a fuck that your grandparents went to Thailand and we don't give a fuck that they gave you that hat and we don't give a fuck about any of that and like stop talking about how your grandparents went to Thailand. That's what he said to me. And then I think the teacher was like, I think the teacher said something which was like, oh, bro, I think you're being a little bit too hard on him here. So, like, just just bring it back a little bit. Like, we are all tired of hearing Joachim tell a story about how his goddamn fucking grandparents went to Thailand. Like, we're all sick of it, I know. But you're being a little bit too harsh. But I did not hear the teacher say this. I did not really hear it because at that point, it's like a grenade has exploded and I, there's just this loud beeping noise. It's like the hurt locker. It's like, this is like this and like muffled voices because I'm just within myself at this moment because again, it is a moment of a birth of some new feeling that I've never felt of like incredible devastating I mean I guess it's shame again like I guess every <laughs> I guess all these memories because this is also a memory that just like about every 36 hours this memory just like floats through my mind and before I started meditating it would float through my mind and I wouldn't notice it and now that I meditate I'm like huh I just like thought about that thing again and um, I guess it's shame again, you know? So <laughs> the connection with the movie Inside or Inside Out or whatever it's called, like, I think it's called Inside Out. 
is that I think maybe I was like really interested in geography for a while, and then, <laughs> and then, and then Christian he said this like absolutely devastating thing where he reached into my soul the way it's conceived in the movie Inside Out, and he grabbed the Keystone early memory and he unplugged it and it went dark and it went black in his hand. And then, like in the movie, you can look out over the vast landscape of a person's personality depicted in all these like colorful, weird like parts of the landscape, like different biomes that are different parts of the personality. And when he unplugs that, this sort of like rich, fun amusement park looking part of my mind and personality, which is my geography interest, just like goes black. It's like you just unplugged it. The whole amusement park, just like everything stops and all the people just die. They just like go zombie and then they just fall over. And that whole, and that's why I don't know if Bali is a city or a country. Because he said that devastating burn. It was a devastating burn that I, I just, I mean, I don't think I spoke in, oh, it was like before that moment, I think I was this super annoying kid that would just like raise my hand all the time and just like say whatever came into my mind. Oh, now I'm getting like, now it's like this whole podcast is just me raising my hand and just like telling you guys that my grandparents went to Thailand. But you know, that's the, that's what I need to do. You know, that's what I need to be. I just need to be okay with that because that's the thing. Like it, too much of my mind was unplugged in that moment. And I like disappeared inside of myself. I disappeared into myself and, Christian, oh. <sighs> Too much of my personality shut down in that moment. And and um, it was difficult for me to, like, find a couple of generators and get a couple of the rides going again in the amusement park. And, and I think I just need to, like, raise my hand and, tell the world that my parents my grandparents went to thailand and they brought me back a hat like i think maybe we need to do that like yeah it's okay to be cognizant of like when you're being annoying but also you gotta you gotta let me live be like yeah devastating devastating so there's many other memories like this let's let's have another water so this is the really if it wasn't for this i wouldn't do a cola episode this is boneyard elixir i have reviewed their other two other beverages i think one is like an orange something i think one is maybe a lemon ginger they are such strange combinations where like ginger in a can seems so improbable that it would be good absolutely inconceivable but it's incredible and the way the hempy because this is a cbd beverage and the, the way this like sort of hemp angle meshes with all their different flavors is absolutely 
It's incredible. It's incredible. Um, this is 130 calories. Like this is a soda, you know. It's a sparkling CBD beverage. 25 milligrams of CBD. King Cola. It's like such a confident name. It's such a terribly designed can though. Like this camo thing. I do not like the camo thing. I am... Um, I'm still not totally sure, but I think that Boneyard Elixir is related to the Boneyard Brewery that makes some of my favorite beers. I'm not a drinking man anymore, but when I was a drinking man, I would frequently ask the bartender for a Bodhi. For those who don't know, that's a Bodhisattva, and it's it's like an IPA that Boneyard makes, and it's, boy, oh boy, that's a delicious beer. And then somehow those geniuses or their cousins came up with this, you know? King Cola. Yeah. Wow. It does, the cola flavor is very off-brand cola, like Tab, or like it's, it actually tastes like one of the off-brand colas from back in Sweden, like, I don't even remember what it's called, but you know, we used to have a bunch of off-brand colas, and the cola flavor is way less, like, it. it's not trying to be perfectly balanced like Coca-Cola. Because Coca-Cola, much like a good ketchup, is every single thing at the same time balanced so perfectly that you can't pick any single element of it out, because it's all of it. It's just like this, it's like everyone in this symphony just goes like this, at the same time everyone just like blows their horn and everyone does everything at the same time yeah and it rips dude coca-cola rips but this is different and it's not trying to be balanced and next to these poorly balanced cola flavors that actually work they had this other angle it's a very full spectrum flavor because there's this other lane over here where there's a hempy earthy, a little bit oily, but not in a bad way, weed flavor. It tastes a little bit like weed. And goddamn, that's good. Oh boy, oh boy. Zero grams of dietary fiber. You better believe it. Yeah, so that's a 10 out of 10. That's a that's a beverage so good that it made me break the rule and do a cola episode on this week in sparkling water. At 200 waters in probably. We did a cola episode and it's all good. So, there's a couple more traumatizing memories that pass through my mind all the time. There's one this one is so, oh, like, what if these people knew that I think about them every day? I'm at my cousin's house. I only have one girl cousin. Her name is Denise. We're at their house. We're all kids. I'm maybe 12 or 13. And the the sort of background to this is that my cousins, 
live in a big city. They live in Malmo, where I was born, where I didn't really grow up, where I just lived like four years, and then we moved to a small town. And they live in the big city. And when you live in the big city, it just feels like you're a little bit ahead of the curve. Because things are a little bit cooler, things get to you a little bit quicker, trends, you just mature a little bit quicker, you dress cooler. And then when you're in a small town, you just feel a little bit like, especially, like now it's maybe different. Because everyone's got the same phone and everyone's on the same internet. But back then it's like, man, you got a CD player, you got like some television, and you do not know what's going on. Like, and those people in the, the teenagers in the big city, maybe they're like going to parties and like things are different. So there's an inferiority complex simmering in the background of this scene here. And I am wearing probably baggy jeans because I was 13 years old and I liked to listen to rap music. And that's what they wore back in the day, okay? So I was wearing probably baggy jeans and under... my baggy jeans, I was wearing white tube socks. And my cousin, who is probably two or th two years younger than me, so maybe I'm 14 and she's 12, she's like, oh, wow, you're, you're, wearing, you're wearing white, white tube socks? <laughs> That's the whole thing. That's the entire memory. She's like, oh, you're wearing white tube socks? Tube socks. Now, of course, this story is originally in Swedish, and you're enjoying it here in translation. But in the original, it was like she called them tibisach, vita tibisach, which is like a cutesy way of saying it, tubis. And I was just mortified for some reason. I was mortified. I was like, oh, "That's not cool." Like I didn't know what white tube socks are not cool. Like I had. What? I was just absolutely devastated again. I was so, I'm realizing that I walked into this conversation being like, why are all these memories just passing through my mind all the time? But they're all just memories of me being super ashamed at an early age. Um, yeah. So again, I was just staring down this abyss of, of a shame. And, um, yeah. I I was 13 years old. Every single sock I owned was a white tube sock. <sighs> because I thought that's what we were doing. And then she said that. And from that day on, I have never worn a white tube sock ever again. I have never worn a white sock not one time. And that's an overreaction. You know, that's an, that's too much. Because white socks aren't that bad. And the thing is that the terrible... Okay, I'm wearing very neutral black socks right now. But I have worn some terrible, colorful socks. That honestly make me look like, and I say this because 
of the radical honesty concept of the podcast, they make me look like a pedophile to wear completely clownish, weird, super colorful socks. But even to this day, being 34 years old, there's a fire in my heart that I'm running away from where my biggest fear is to be caught dead in white tube socks. And I will rather wear super silly pink and green neon, ridiculous, very, very, very bad looking socks than white tube socks. And that doesn't make any sense. And now that I've said this out loud, I'm probably going to change it because, wow, it's incredible. Oh, man. Yeah. And then the weird thing is there's actually two more memories that are both set in the same movie theater that the first memory was in. The movie theater where I did not wait for the lady to completely get up and I just went for it and just shoved myself past her and just found my seat. And my mom said that I was being rude. Filmstaden. That's the name of the movie theater in Lund in Sweden. Okay. Now, chronologically, the memory that's actually the earliest memory where I'm the youngest is a memory where I'm probably only like fucking five years old or something. Because in this memory, and this is again a memory that like, I just find myself I don't even know how to describe it, man. It's like the memory just sort of, it's such a gentle, it has such a gentle way of just passing through the very, the very deepest background of my mind. I don't know. I don't know what that is, bro. But uh, you guys like this plant? This plant is crazy. You know what this plant is? I found... This sort of wiry dead thing here was just in this room when I moved in here. And I kept it. And in the first episode with the video, you can see that that I have that dead plant there. But then on the windowsill, when I moved in, I also found a sweet potato that was um, abandoned. And that I had seen when I had visited here. That sweet potato was bought like a year ago. And somehow a sweet potato has so much life force that this sweet potato that had been left on a windowsill a year ago had sprouted these green leaves and then stopped growing because it didn't have any nutrition. So it just grew like a sprout that was like two inches and then it just froze. But it didn't die. It just froze. And then I took this sweet potato, which had sprouted this thing months ago, this one year old sweet potato and I just stuck it in some dirt this very dirt you see right here before you and I watered it and it just exploded and in like four weeks it has become this it at in the beginning it was growing like an inch per day I don't even know how to it's enormous it's growing all over the equipment and everything yeah it's a it's an it's a nice it's a nice plant. I wish there was another window in here for this guy, but anyway, um in this memory where I'm five years old in the movie theater, what happened is that I'm 
I'm there with my dad. I'm watching a movie. And I have to go to the bathroom. And I'm right at that age where he let me go to the bathroom by myself. And that's like new for me. So I think I might have been maybe five years old where you can let a kid go to the bathroom on their own. And the way it's set up in Sweden, which is a little bit different from America, because in America it's pretty much like there's a ticket counter and then they check your ticket and then you enter the system and then the bathrooms and the movie theater and everything is in there. That's how it is in America. In Sweden, it's like you leave the movie theater. I mean, you leave the like screen, the room with the screen and you walk past the guy who checked your ticket to get to the bathroom. The bathroom is out, out by the, the exit. Now, this is important for the story. So I go to the bathroom. And then as I am returning to my seat or whatever, not even, I realize that I don't have a ticket. And the guy, there's a movie, there's a ticket checking guy, you know? And I don't have a ticket. And now, you know, like applying grown-up logic to this now in present day when I'm 34 years old, describing the situation to you, yes, that guy has seen me wander out. So that guy is just going to let me back in. But I did not understand that at five years old. I didn't understand that he was going to remember me. Or like I was worried. I was scared that he wouldn't. So I was full of fear. And so I just froze. I went to the bathroom. I exited the bathroom. I just stood outside of the restrooms and I just stood there and I didn't go back in and I didn't wander off and I didn't do anything. I just froze. I just stood there for like a long time. And then, you know, because I'm five years old and I'm not coming back and my dad is like not a terrible dad. So he went looking for me, obviously. And so my dad wanders out to where I'm at and he finds me and he's like, bro, bro, what are you doing? Like, why are you not coming back? Like, why are you just standing here? And in this state of complete fear, and it's a social fear, it's a fear of humiliation or like rejection is not the right word, but like, I'm afraid that the ticket checking man is going to deny me access. And what is that feeling? I don't even know what to call that feeling. But that's what I was afraid of. I was afraid that the ticket checking man was going to not let me back in. And that would make, that would be my worst nightmare somehow. That was some sort of social phobia at five years old. I don't know what words to use for that, but that's what I felt. So in that state of fear, my dad comes at me and he's like, why are you not coming back to your seat? And I say, he wouldn't let me back in. I didn't have a ticket. He wouldn't let me back in, which is a lie because I didn't try, but I lied because I was so afraid. I was afraid of getting rejected. And then I was also afraid of telling the truth about being afraid. Like the whole thing was just already, even at five years old, I was already like just adding layers to this onion of fear and shame and like social anxiety and being neurotic. Oh God, <laughs> such a kooky little kid. 
So my dad is like, what? He didn't let you back in? So my dad like tromps over to this ticket checking man. And he's like, why didn't you let my son back into the movie theater? And I don't know what they said to each other after that. I just know that my dad became a little bit more subdued and then grabbed me and we went back in and we didn't really talk about it. But it became clear that my dad understood the whole thing that had happened. It became clear that my dad understood that I was a fearful little child that had succumbed to anxiety and that I was a five-year-old with like an anxiety problem. That, that I could feel, I could intuit, I don't know, I mean, maybe that's wrong also, but like, it felt like my dad understood everything that had happened. And honestly, I think he did understand everything that happened. Because he has a problem with anxiety. And he has a problem that made him take benzos every day for decades and a problem that uh, really ruined his life. And what's interesting is that he has told me he had a lot of um, real panic attacks. Like I've never had an actual panic attack, but he had a lot of his twenties and thirties were peppered with full on panic attacks where you are convinced that you're going to die, even though you're in a very mundane situation. Um, and what's interesting is that he has told me that the first panic attack he ever had was in a movie theater. So there's a theme here of movie theaters. Like, movie theaters are the backdrop for all of this. So, um, yeah, maybe when he saw me there and five years old, he was like, ooh... Ooh, I passed on some of my anxiety to this kid and and maybe ten years from now he'll have his first he'll have his first panic attack in this very movie theater. But that's not what happened. It's fine. I think I only got half of my dad's anxiety. Because my mom does not have an anxiety problem. You know, who knows? Who knows if it's that easy and sort of like if basic arithmetic applies to anxiety. Um yeah. I feel like he understood everything, though. And that's an, that's like a, somehow that's a negative feeling to feel like, I don't know, sometimes when, I don't know why, because we've had that later on, like in my 20s, sometimes my dad and me, sometimes, very few times, but it did happen. Three or four times my dad and me would get drunk together and we would have these heart to hearts between like 1 a.m. and 4 a.m. where we would really talk about the problem and he would talk about his anxiety problem and his social phobia and like why he doesn't leave his apartment ever and, and I would talk about mine and he would be surprised when I would be like, yeah, dude, I'm fucking anxious as fuck all the time, which is pretty much like, I don't really have like a diagnosis or a label or anything. I'm just kind of anxious all the time. And that's what I told him. And then I remember him being surprised and being like, being like, no, 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 no. Being like, 
no, fuck, I gave that to you? I'm being honestly being, in a very honest seeming way, being like kind of heartbroken. He seemed heartbroken to learn that that this hand that he was dealt is a hand that, yeah, you know, whatever. I got some of the cards of it. But, um, yeah, as I was sitting and thinking about this recently and the different memories, there is one more memory in the sort of Rolodex of memories that are like clockwork, just always sort of passing through my mind. There's one more memory is also in the same movie theater. And it's, um, it's like, it's different though. It's also shame, but it's like me and my mom, when I was like 15, we went and watched, Oh God, I'm going to say this, but I'm also not going to belabor the point because I actually wanted to bring this up in an episode with Javi. Cause I just think it's an, it's a, funny, horrible thing to start talking about. Me and my mom went and saw American Beauty in the movie theaters, in that movie theater. And I got a boner while watching the movie. And I wanted to hide the boner. So I like, because the movie has like some scenes that are very like, there's some sexual tension. And then, oh God, so shameful to talk about this. Ooh, good thing we're like an hour and 20 minutes into this episode where no one is watching anymore. So I got a boner and then to hide it, I stuck my hand into the pants of my pocket and like wanted to correct my pants to like hide it. But then midway through, I'm realizing that the fact that I'm like squirming like crazy and sticking my hand in my pocket during a sex scene in this movie actually had the opposite effect of what I was going for. That actually was like shining a light on the, like that made it obvious that I got a boner. If I'd just been sitting there in the dark, not moving, I would have been fine, but I played it wrong. You know, I played it wrong. I moved, I moved to try to hide it. And that's what made it more obvious, which is that logic of like, you ha you have some body part or something that you're um, sensitive about. So you dress in a way trying to hide it. And then everyone else looks at you like, wow, yeah, that guy's humpback is so much more obvious because he's trying, because he's like <laughs> trying to dress in a way that hides the humpback. And it's, um, yep, it just makes it more obvious. So yeah, I wanted to actually, I'm, I think next time I have Javi on, I'm just going to ask him like, I don't know. I just think it's an interesting, like mortifying thing to talk about, like sexuality and parents and stuff. Like if they ever, I just want to like torture Javi and be like, did your parents ever catch you masturbating? But that's for a different, that's for a different episode because we're probably deep into this now. Yeah, we're deep into it. We're deep into it. We're an hour and 26 in, so. <clears throat> yeah. I love you guys. I do. I love you guys. Thank you for listening. That's the podcast. <laughs>